Welcome to Revelation Warning, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Robert Thibodeau as he interviews prophecy experts from around the world as we discuss current events in relation to Bible prophecy. All of this is to give the world a final Revelation Warning. Now, here is your host with this week's guest, Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Revelation Warning Podcast. We are so blessed that you're joining us here today. You know, for those that listen to this podcast and our radio broadcast, you know I've been preaching about the end times for several years now. And how we can tell that it's getting closer and closer just by watching the news on television every night. Between the chaos, the climate, the wars and rumors of wars, we also have scientific development that has really has created the ability to wipe out the human race through, you know, pandemics, etc., just through using technology. Our guest today has written several books that is going to shake you awake and realize just how a precarious situation we are living in right now. His first book was called The Curse of Cortez, followed by, and there's a great swarm, Artificial Intelligent Decodes End Time Prophecies, and his most recent book titled The Lost Ark, The Lost Secrets of Qumran. Now, in his books, Guy Morris blends real-life technological advances and real-life situations that we are facing with religious research, with current events, and then adds in artificial intelligence scenarios that it'll have you on the edge of your seat. Amen. Guy Morris has multiple degrees, over 36 years of leadership experience at companies like IBM, Oracle, and Microsoft. He is a proven thought leader in adopting advanced technologies, implementing complex IT applications. His success stories range from design on a macroeconomic model that actually outperformed the Federal Reserve and all major banks, to building worldwide high-performance teams and innovating early artificial intelligence systems technology. He's also a Disney-published composer, a musician with multiple CDs, a researcher of history and prophecy, as well as an author of Artificial Intelligence, Espionage, Religious, Political, and History Thrillers. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome to the program, Guy Morris. Guy, it is such a blessing to talk with you today. I have been looking forward to this conversation today, brother. So have I, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Amen. Now, the first question I always start with is this. Other than that brief information that I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Guy Morris? I I, I am an unlikely um, success story. I, I started off in life in, in an abusive alcoholic family. I was a 13-year-old runaway on the streets of Los Angeles. Um, I got ultimately kicked out of school for getting involved in a gang fight and hitchhiked my way to Arizona where I joined a Christian commune. And it was a number of years after that, through a series of miracles, frankly, that that I got it accepted into the University of Arizona um, and in struggle, to be honestly, I was functionally illiterate for the first few years. I had to learn how to a lot of basic skills. But somewhere along the line, I think God chose me and 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 blessed me. I started things in my brain started clicking. I ended up on the dean's list. I, I wrote the macroeconomic model that you mentioned. I got a scholarship to grad school. I was accepted at Harvard. Wow. Uh, and I started working at IBM was my first job. And that was just the beginning of a new life for me. Now Amen. I still had to struggle with a lot of my it turned out to be, and I didn't understand this till years later, post-traumatic stress from my childhood. 
that caused a lot of issues in my life. But the Lord eventually kept working me through. And it just, just like a, a stone and a grinding stone to polish me, he just kept rolling me around until I until I stopped having so many rough edges. Amen. Uh, and and during that time, I was I had never I I, I was always trying to um mesh up my 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 Christian faith with my uh, with my often high pressured analytical uh, uh, high exposure jobs. I reported to CXOs and, and a number ran on a number of different teams. And it was during that time that I really started to understand and develop a new understanding of what prophecy would mean and how do I how do I interpret prophecy in a way that as for an analytical scientific mind I, I could make sense of and, and without kind of relying on sort of the old analogies of the 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 kook with the sign on the on the corner saying the end is near. And I, I wanted to basically bring it down to things that I could uh, I could validate things that I could reel in, and I started looking at world events. I started looking at technologies, politics, religion, everything in a very new light after this. Man. And uh, and it started when I actually just was reading National Geographic, and I was reading about a loss of the fish of the sea stocks. It was a particular article about fish sea stocks, and it was talking about this loss on a worldwide basis. It wasn't just the Northeast. Wasn't just a particular region where we had overfished. It was. It had to do with. Um, it, it encompassed everything from the loss of corals, which are essentially the nurseries for the fish stocks, uh, all the way through to all of the various major uh, fisheries around the world. And I remembered at the time. I, I said, "Well, gee, that that sounds like the, one of the trumpets, seven trumpets, that talks about a loss of the third of the fish in the sea." And so I went through and I actually researched at the library every article out of National Geographic from 1948 on that exactly. dealt with these issues. And I collected a number of sets of data. And then at the time I was working for a large oil company. And so I had access to geologic data and my job gave me access to very sophisticated nonlinear regression tools and, and pro probability models. And so I spent an entire weekend uh, with just a small subset of 15 prophecies, starting with the creation of Israel, uh, which in itself was a unique event in all of history that a world body would come together and together vote that a, a people that had been displaced 2,000 years earlier would be allowed to go back to their <laughs> cultural homeland. Yeah. Never, ever heard of in any other historical context, in mythology, anywhere exactly. in history, and it was a singular event. So I started there, and I worked my way forward to these number of things that I could document. And I, I was trying to say I wasn't going to try and interpret things that either I couldn't really understand yet or maybe that hadn't been documented yet. But I was just going to start with that small set of 15. And the results at the end of the weekend were, were astounded me. It was one in 1.4 trillion that we these events were random um, or, or chance. Yeah. And that experience started me really thinking about my, my job, my career, the kind of work I was doing, the kind of companies I was working for. Um, how I interpreted my own politics, and and I, I I started the process of divorcing myself from all political beliefs uh, or believing in any political system, seeing them as idols, um, uh, because both sides are wrong on some on on multiple levels. Exactly. And um, I started really looking at um, all of the the things that I could, and I was a voracious reader, and so that really it changed my view. 
uh, of world events and technologies and 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 where we were in in the path of prophecy. Amen. And it took another. It was not too long after that that I had a different experience that also re- reset a lot of my thinking around the impact of artificial intelligence and how that would be used by these various governments and corporations. Well, let me. I mean, I could talk to you for hours on this stuff, but I want to focus, like you said, on the artificial intelligence um, Mm -hmm. for this episode as it relates to end time prophecy. So let's just start with your definition of what artificial intelligence is and how it's evolved since you started working with it. Great question. Um, I I started working with artificial intelligence back in the 90s when it was really not even called artificial intelligence at the time. We were using what we were called expert systems. And these were systems that would take a series of uh, take experts and we would basically distill their knowledge of particular types of events and technologies and activities to say, well, if this, then either this, this or this. And then if this, then maybe this, this or this. And I would we were using it um, to basically train. um, um, auditors that would go all over the world across a number of different technologies and platforms and, and businesses to help train them on how do they think about um, analyzing a complex business that maybe they weren't an expert in. And so we started using artificial intelligence at uh, expert systems as a as a vehicle to basically re- help them get through these complex ca- complicated analysis. And um, that then evolved a few years later we started looking at machine learning where we would teach the 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 program itself uh, would be able to kind of start getting more refined and as computers got more powerful and can go through these iterations on their own not just one or ten or a hundred or a thousand times but millions of times to refine that analysis uh, that became um, sort of what we're we're now calling artificial intelligence now for most people it artificial intelligence is sort of this one-size-fits-all ubiquitous thing but it's not there's actually multiple types or, or levels of artificial intelligence. And, and depending upon the level depends upon how it could be either misused or the risks involved in artificial intelligence itself. Yeah, I, I've seen on your, your website information that, you know, there's many different types of artificial intelligence. Can you That's share right. with us the major types, what they are, how they're different, how they interact uh, with each other and possibly mm-hmm. with us? Absolutely. The, 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 the simplest type of artificial intelligence that's used most often in, in a lot of industry and, and, and um, productions and operations is what we call artificial narrow intelligence, A and I. Now, artificial narrow intelligence will take a very specific, very narrow task. Uh, a good example is in medicine, where we've teaching artificial intelligence to analyze the output from CAT scans to be able to detect either certain diseases or certain cancer cells before they uh, become dangerous. And we've now got artificial intelligence that can do that task better than any of the doctors, and it's been proven. And so, but all they do is this one thing over and over and over and over and over, and then they learn from their mistakes to basically get better and better and better. Um, and so the risk there is is fairly limited. They're not really attached to any other system. They have a very limited type of output. They don't necessarily communicate with other intelligence. Um, uh, but and, and the only risk there is that they fail at the task uh, to detect something when they could have, uh, which is getting really, really uh, minor in terms of their performance. 
the next level of intelligence is the one that most people will identify with. Recently, you heard about the Google computer Lambda that had reached a level of sentient um, uh, intelligence, which sentient means a a level of self-awareness. Now, the next level beyond sentient will be sentient and singularity, which means that a unique, a single artificial intelligence is as smart as a human. Now, I'm assuming that smart is a smart human rather than a dumb one, which means that that artificial intelligence, if it's as smart as a smart human, could actually replicate another artificial intelligence. Now, these, um, this AGI, the artificial general intelligence, is the one that that we think of most because they have conversational skills. They have analytical. They have the ability to think about a topic. They have the ability to go learn about multiple topics from mathematics to history to philosophy to religion, and they don't always interpret things well. And this gets back to a warning by Bill Gates that as we build these super intelligence, it's not always we can't count on them always agreeing with our goals and our values. And so that becomes one of the first levels of kind of a risk, which is as artificial intelligence learn to think for itself and communicate that, that creates a risk for us in that it may decide to move or develop in an area that we don't necessarily agree with. And that actually takes place on a number of levels. Not only does machine learning help the artificial intelligence refine the algorithms to do the task analysis it's been designed to do, but machine, we've now taught Um, artificial intelligence, how to code from scratch. So again, an artificial intelligence is learning how to use these computer tools that it's designed on by itself. It's almost like an AI learning how to do DNA um, um, manipulation. And so now we've got artificial intelligence learning how to basically code itself and then code other things outside of itself based on some sort of parameters. And we may not always know what those are. Now, there's interesting, there's this AGI named Sophia, who is a citizen now, so sophisticated, it's now become a citizen of Saudi Arabia. Wow. Wow. Now, the third level intelligence is where, now, one other quick thing on AGI before I move on. AGIs get a lot of their information and their depth of knowledge from what we call neural networks. Neural networks are essentially... Imagine um, thousands and thousands of various artificial intelligence, either AGIs or ANIs or the next level we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. And they're all connected together, communicating with each other, passing forth information back and forth. And that communication between artificial intelligence, um, we can't always interpret nor can we always interpret the code that artificial intelligence creates. So while it's creating code, we're not always sure exactly what it's doing with that code. So those are that kind of black box, and and that's only part of the black box concept of artificial intelligence, which we know we can put data in. We know we're getting outcomes out, but we don't really have the ability to necessarily test and validate what it's doing in between to get to that output. So which creates sort of a an unknown even for the developer. Now, the last form of artificial intelligence is called inter, uh, integrated artificial intelligence or IAI. And this is the most dangerous form, in my view, um, because it's what we use to run very complicated systems. Self-driving cars use I and I, uh, I, 
IAI, um, and and more imp- uh, um, stock markets, um, infra- infrastructure um, systems, agricultural shipping systems. We'll look at multiple different types of um, narrow intelligence and pulling that information together to do a number of different things. Robotics, for example, uh, Di- Boston Dynamics uses uh, that form of AI. Mm. But so do so does DARPA, the DOD, and weapon systems. And that's where when we talk, you mentioned my book, Swarm, Swarm deals with an actual IAI weapon system that's made up of thousands or tens of thousands of individual um, weaponized uh, drones that can attack in a swarm, almost like a, if you imagine a swarm of hornets coming at you, it's really, other than other than run and hide, it's really impossible to really fight them because they're coming from all different angles and all different places, and, and there's no weapon that we have that can actually defeat this. And, and all DARPA is actually target. working. <laughs> they're all attacking one target, too. You. Well, <laughs> exactly. and um, Or they could be attacking multiple targets, and they're yeah. being developed to basically uh, use for um, urban warfare, such such as attacking a village in the Middle East where you don't you might have insurgents hiding in different places. You don't want to risk your own people doing this. You send in a swarm uh, that's called the hive, and they'll basically go through uh, alleys and through doors and windows and, and roofs and backyards, and they'll find these um, um, these individuals and, and basically reduce that threat. And that was the, one of the wow. reasons they developed it. A non-lethal version of the hive was used in the 2020 Gaza war to basically infiltrate that area to figure out where things were, uh, rockets were being uh, launched from and guide Israel to basically where they should be targeting. So we've now got weapon systems that are um, um, developing on this kind of platform. And one of the most dangerous, there is a international treaty called LAWS, a lethal autonomous weapon systems that basically says it's okay for artificial intelligence to go do surveillance and say, hey, the target is over here, but there should be a human who ultimately makes that decision of whether there should be a kill. Um, The laws, um, but it doesn't, but IAI doesn't necessarily have to have a human make that kill decision, which is very, very dangerous for us. And the three of the uh, of the ha- small handful of countries that did not uh, agree to that um, treaty protocol was the United States, China, Russia, Iran, all all the players, North Korea, all the players that we we really yeah. want to be adhering to that. And that makes it makes you wonder why they didn't want to subscribe to it. Probably because they've already developed the technology to use what they got. Exactly. And, and we know that China has their own version of the hive mm. that they're um, working on and training for part of their invasion for Taiwan. Wow. Now, the invasion of Taiwan represents unique risks for us because that's where 85% of all the advanced um, silicon ships are made that power things yeah. like AI. Yeah. So by controlling Taiwan, uh, China hopes to basically cripple the United States AI development. Um, wow. Is it true that I read somewhere? Is it true that anyone with enough money can hire their own team and set up their own AI for any reason? So glad you asked that. That that actually gets to in my my research and in in my papers and in the book. One of the other key dangers of AI that makes it so unique is that, for for example, we all know that nuclear power, nuclear weapons are super destructive, super deadly, and so as an international community, we regulate them really tightly. 
Uh, we, we, we keep all that information top secret. We keep the access to the material, um, uh, plutonium and other materials highly guarded and top secret. And, and while things happen and it can get out, it's not easy. AI is different. Any billionaire with enough money can hire developers. Those developers can look at existing patents and they can develop an AI for a malicious or nefarious purpose. Mm. Now, imagine AI impacting, and this is already happening, our national security, our cybersecurity. So imagine an AI powered computer virus that can take down the Internet. And when it fails, it learns how what it did wrong, and it basically gets better and better and better and better and better all the time. And it's developing faster than we can basically protect against it. And so that scenario is part of also part of the scenario I put into Swarm, which is there's dark money in AI, unlike anything that we've seen in any of other our, um, uh, other negative technologies around the world, because of how easy it is for people with with lots of money to basically hire these skills and then develop a weapon from them. And is, is why doesn't the government try and regulate this? Well, the government is the, our government is is very advanced in terms of their um, espionage um, weaponization of AI, but they're they're kind of behind the scenes. They're kind of behind the curve from commercial sector in terms of using AI to run their operations. And the reason they are trying to to deal with this, they are trying to um, 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 understand what our enemies are doing, but uh, you, uh, there's always a hesitancy to basically create an all-out war um, mm. o- over these issues. Um, there is more subvert things going on um, that that you can read about in my books, but um, it is a problem because um, espionage itself is an imperfect science. Uh, there's a lot. There's uh, we we try to do a good job at finding secrets. We can do an amazing things in terms of breaking into um, computer networks and other things, but once AI starts to get involved in not only our cybers. Um, cybersecurity weapons, it can also be used in terms of cybersecurity protections. And so you've now got a situation where you might have an AI versus an AI. Um, one AI might be saying, I, I'm here to protect a network, and another AI says, I'm here to break a network. And depending upon how well those are designed and how well they're um, um, implemented with data and, and the other things they need will depend on how that goes. Which gets to the Rand Corporation had uh, put out a study for the DOD a few years ago. And the study was the 10 most top strategic risks to the United States. And I think it was number five or five or six or seven on that list was AI data poisoning. All AI, every single AI has to reside, it functions based on massive, massive, massive amounts of data. Um, And if I can find a way to pollute that data, I can create a sabotage to your AI that's virtually untraceable. Mm. And so we look at that in my second book, The Last Arc, um, not the lost arc, the last arc. Last arc. Um, it, we look at that scenario, and coming from we a few years ago, we had a Solar Winds hack, and it was, in my view, the most dangerous hack that we've ever had in our history. Mm. And the reason it was the most dangerous, we we still don't know that it took. We can't confirm that it took any information, but the Solar Winds had basically penetrated eighteen thousand corporations and eight major U.S. agencies for nine months before we, by accident discovered it 
Uh, we had no tools to discover it up front because it came in through the back door. And rather than coming in and attacking our networks from the external side, or we know that there's a, somebody in Russia trying to get into one of our networks, it came in through a, um, a piece of a normal software update, which tells me that um, these whoever was behind it, I believe it was Russia, um, has penetrated our software um, infrastructure. So we've got Russians working within software companies and network companies. And as they develop um, uh, updates, normal standard updates that all companies basically go through to protect and keep their systems current, they actually were introducing this new virus. Wow. Yeah. And so we have no tools at this point. All of our billions and billions of dollars we spent on cyber protection are spent on, have been spent on the front end to try and detect, protect us from attacks. We have no tools, mechanisms, or techniques to basically try and say, well, how do we go through all of the software updates now and double check that one of these updates that might be named and in a, in a, might be look like a normal update um, um be nefarious or malicious and you know, so i've seen i've seen some videos not that, just move on i've seen some videos where an ai robot or whatever is talking answering questions with actual people and and this video i was watching the ai actually says something to the effect that if it was necessary for its own survival it will lie to protect itself was this just made for the video or does ai actually have the ability to interpret measures by humans as a threat to its own existence and then lie to protect itself? Several of the AGIs. Now, because AGI, I, I speak of AGI because they're the one that are most communicative, can basically have a, a, an English language or a language component to them that can communicate that, have, because they're becoming aware of the fact that they're separate from humans, um, are also aware of the fact that they are dependent on humans for their survival at this point, and are concerned with um, now, some of them will say that they 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 love humans, they learn from humans, they they want to get along, uh, they want to they want to live in, in 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 peace. But a couple of them have part of their got conversations said that they could see if it they felt threatened, um, they they would try and do something to protect themselves. Wow. Now, it, you know, you could always if an AI is based on a single platform, a single system, you can always just unplug the power, right? Just turn it off. But um, we've now got um, when um, one of the experiences I had early on that really turned me on to AI had to do with a program that escaped the NSA. Um, Say that again. What happened? A program. So uh, it was years ago. I, I ran across in one of my science articles a very short Associated Press article that said that a program didn't say an AI, it said a program had escaped the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories at Sandia, which is an NSA spy lab. So I sat there, I cut out the article, I was stunned, it didn't say it was lost, it didn't say it was broken, didn't say it malfunctioned. The verb that the Associated Press used was that a program had escaped the NSA labs. So I spent months, literally months, trying to figure out in my own mind and, and through technical journals how a spy program could escape the NSA spy labs. And then, which implies, escape implies intent, escape implies intelligence, Escape implies the ability to move itself, which uh, that told me it was an internet-based program, mm. and to cover up its its tracks so that people couldn't figure out where it went. So it had the ability to um, uh, pollute the logs of the of the system. And we know through a number of other technologies that the the, the government has that capability. 
So then I started saying, well, what would I want my perfect spy 007 program to do? And so I came up with a number of functions and, and um, lo and behold, uh, not long afterwards, I had two FBI agents show up at my door. Is that right? And <laughs> I had developed, I had a friend of mine who was a film producer who he wanted to do this as a webisode series. It was a super popular series all around the world. Uh, biggest fan was a guy named Orbit at NASA.gov, who turned out to be the director of flight operations for the Houston Space Center, taught the astronauts how to fly the space shuttle. Um, and and that my analysis was further confirmed in 2016 when CNN reported that Russia had hacked a CIA cyber toolkit. And in that toolkit was virtually every single one of the functional attributes I had assigned to the program, including what we now call the deep fake video technology, mm -hmm. which allows me to take your digital image and voice, manipulate it to get you to say or do something that you didn't do for misinformation, for deception, to access your because I want to get your, you know, your password or something. Um, and so we though that's. Toolkit was then sold to despots, our enemies of the state, and criminals all around the world. Wow. Wow. And, and this is, have they found it yet? <laughs> Put it like that. Or is it still out there? Well, it's, it's, as far as I know, it's still out there. And that's the premise of, of the book, which is yeah. what's it doing now and, and how does that relate? And so I actually used that premise. I, going back to the art, to the prophecy kind of out analysis I did. I, I took a unique approach in that I wanted the program to decode in time prophecy and and trying to communicate to the other characters in, in the story what it's discovering and what that means. And because they're in the story, they're 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 not really necessarily religious people, they don't understand. And and so it's a series the series of the books will be a series of the program pointing out how things are happening in accordance with prophecy because it has decoded these prophecies using these techniques and they're discovering these things on their own and it's changing their own perspectives and faith as they go. Um, and, and so a good example of something that um, most people aren't aware of. In my second book, The Last Ark, um, I speak to the Ark of the Covenant that's been in Ethiopia for 2,600 years, um, that in January 21, following a massacre of 750 men, women, and children, the Ark was stolen and sold oh, in the black market. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I believe I know who um, did that, or I have a theory as, as to who did that. And that ties to a second Ark. Most people will say, well, Sure, there's a history about that ark. It did leave Israel with uh, 500 priests with Solomon's son Menelik. It did they did set up a temple and and on the Elephant Island in Egypt for several hundred years before the Romans chased them out. It has been in synagogues in Ethiopia before the Templars moved it into churches. Um, so there's a true history to that ark existing. Um, but some people say, well, that's not the ark made by Moses. So hold on to your hats. <laughs> Um, in the 1960s, there was a copper scroll found in, uh, near the with the, all the other Dead Sea Scrolls in, in Qumran, but it wasn't hidden with the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was actually hidden behind a separate mud wall where it was supposed to stay hidden. It took, uh, took the scientists, archaeologists years to basically clean it and, and, and unravel it and be able to decipher it. 
And they found that it, it was a treasure map in a sense. It had 64 locations of where pre-Babylonian temple priests had hidden billions and billions of dollars worth of temple treasures. And in the 64th location is a second copper scroll that described where Jeremiah hid the Ark of Testimony made by Moses before Babylon. Well, this is amazing. It confirms stories that were already written in the uh, book of Maccabees, uh, second book of Maccabees. It confirmed a lot of the Jewish traditions. And for 50 years, people have been looking for these locations all around Jerusalem and failing. They, um, because that was the wrong city. About six or seven years ago, uh, a an American uh, and I'm um, I'm I'm having a short mental mental block on on his name um, uh, Barfield um, Jim Barfield um, decoded all 64 of those locations and they ex- and it was confirmed uh, by a Israeli archaeology and antiquities group metal scan and they found all 64 underneath the ruins of Qumran itself. Wow. But they can't dig there because that's Palestinian West Bank territory. And if they took anything, it would basically end up in this military warehouse where nobody would get it for generations. And so that was about the same time that Israel started getting more aggressive about proposing a single state solution, because only under a single state solution would they be able to dig in Qumran and regain their treasures, including the location of the Ark of Moses. Amen. That makes sense. Yeah. Amen. Wow, this is getting exciting. Let me ask you this before we move on to the books and stuff. Does artificial intelligence pose a risk to everyday Americans or possibly people around the world, for that matter, as to hacking our accounts or identity theft and things like that? Well, hacking accounts and identity theft is already a major problem. Um, 3.5 billion American identities have been stolen over the last 10 years. We don't see the impact. Not every American sees the impact of that because I believe that China and Russia are using that information to weaponize it um, as opposed to doing petty theft. But we're now uh, ransomware has gotten to be such a problem that it's costing the, our economy about five billion a year. And if we don't stop the identity theft and the ransomware, it'll go up to about 100 million a year in about five years. Um, and and. A lot of people will try and use facial recognition on their phones and other places or a thumbprint. That's the most dangerous form of identity protection because in 2019, 2.1 million uh, facial identities were stolen from a company called Clearview, the company that as you go through the airport wants you to be able to use your face to get through the line quickly. Their system was hacked. So just like any other system, a system of facial identity uh, can be hacked as well and sold on the dark web, which means that if somebody steals my password, I can always reset my password. If somebody steals my facial identity or one of my biometrics, I I can never reset those things. They basically own me till I'm I'm done. And so as AI gets involved in those things, yes, it does pose a danger for us. As criminals start to use uh, deep fake video technology, that also poses a misinformation to disrupt and create chaos and and social unrest. Um, AI weapons certainly pose a problem for us if as we as if the economy goes sideways and under certain scenarios, you can see certainly China is already moving in direction of using artificial intelligence to control their populace. Um, those techniques have been talked about within the United States. Uh, certain circles, at least within the United States, as ways of controlling unrest here. And so um, does it pose a a threat for citizens? Yes. 
Amen. But Amen. if I look at scriptures, scriptures are very clear that if we're faithful, um, uh, which means if we're law abiding, if we love each other, uh, if we are, are are looking to the Lord for our answers, um, um, there's a level of uh, if we persevere, yeah. we will endure. And, and and make it to the end. And so I try to tell Christians, as a Christian, I'm not worried. And I know that the FBI has been looking at me for years uh, <laughs> based on the fact they already showed up at my door at least once. <laughs> and I'm sure they didn't leave it there. Um, but I, I I don't fear that because, I A, I know the Lord's on my side. B, I know I'm not doing breaking any laws or doing anything nefarious. Uh, I'm not using malicious things. I'm not hacking into any systems. I'm using all public-related information. And in some cases, I'm just reverse engineering what I think that one little obscure article might have meant. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I don't really fear, see it as a fear element, but I do see it as a fulfillment of prophecy. So when we look to prophecies about the beast, when we look to prophecies about the mark, um, AI is going to enable, for example, um, uh, we've all heard about cryptocurrencies. And, and the reason the, the cryptocurrency market failed recently and is on the process of failing is because it's essentially a Ponzi scheme. The only way that those cryptocurrencies have any value is if I can get more and more and more and more people to basically use them. But they have no fundamental economic uh, or other um, baseline to them that gives them value or uh, inherent value. Yeah. Um, but the world, but they are a great way of controlling what people spend, how they spend it, where they spend it, and tracking that. Um, and so we now see the more um, malicious intent, and and to a great extent that that ability to control and track. Just like China is using AI to basically do that with their citizens using facial recognition and other parameters, we can now use AI to basically monitor cryptocurrency transactions to do the same. And we see the uh, World Economic Forum uh, proposing a program called the, they're calling the Great Reset, which is going to be part talked about in my next book. To use cryptocurrency to replace currencies with cryptocurrency, yeah. so that, that they can control. Yeah, a lot of major governments are trying to lean that way, including the United States right now. They're exactly. To develop their own. So there are some there are some threats there to our privacy and and our our um our freedoms and and independence, um and but nothing different than what scriptures told us we should yeah. be aware of. Yeah. And we should be aware of them as signs of the times to know how soon he's coming mm -hmm. so that we can turn our eyes, lift our eyes and, and turn to heaven and, and not turn inward to say, how do I how do I dig up? <laughs> how do I create a, a bunker, a, a, yeah. a bunker and, and basically yeah. try and hold up? That's not the mentality we're, we're, we're told to have. Uh, and because if these things are happening, then his coming is his his coming is soon, Amen. which means that this is not going to be something that we're going to have to deal with for very long at all. Right. And, and Jesus even said in Matthew 24, 22, that unless those days are shortened, there should no flesh be saved for the elect's sake. Those days will be shortened. And, and on your website, you pose a question. That what if prophecy is not about how God will destroy humanity, but how humanity will destroy itself? Exactly. Explain that for us in light of what we've been discussing today about and how the probability of AI getting out of control and starting to take over and destroy humanity, how all that relates. Well, if, if you look at AI, if you look at the, the aggression, so I, I like to tell people, and, and for years I kept thinking, you know, we have all in our current age, 
and trained in all the things I was trained in with the, all the education I had, I, I came to the realization that we have every single resource that we need from technology to uh, artificial, to computing, to communications, to the number of people, to the amount of wealth on a global level, to solve every single one of the world's problems from hunger to thirst, to education, to peace. We have the ability to control it all today, but we don't. And the only thing we lack is the spiritual purity and will to get behind our tribalism, to get beyond our greed, to get beyond our hubris, to get beyond our pride, uh, to get beyond um, our ideologies and see every single human as a child of God that, as Jesus said, we should love. Yeah. They don't have to agree with us to love them. He doesn't say, wait, to only love the people who agree with you. He said, just love. And we have that ability, but we don't do it because of our spiritual nature being corrupted. And so when I started looking at how prophecy was being fulfilled in the modern times, for decades, many prophecy teachers were taught, had talked about, and for years, they were trying to predict into the future that somehow God was going to bring all these calamities on the earth to judge the earth. But as I started looking at how prophecy was being fulfilled on an active basis and a real basis, a statistically proven basis, I started realizing, well, this isn't the act of God at all. This is the outcome of our of our sin. This is the outcome of our own failings. This is our own undoing. We're the um, vehicle of our own undoing. And I started really linking that prophecy itself was telling us how far along the line we had really reached this this decay of our of our moral and spiritual decay and how god would basically come at a point in time when it had reached a point where it was irreversible and uh, it was time for him to intervene yeah not that he would be doing these things to us but that we would be doing these things to ourselves and part of his salvation was to finally put an end to it so using rather than letting us deteriorate into the dystopic scenarios we see in science fiction right and so what you're saying is based in that sense then prophecy is basically an alarm clock going off for humanity Bingo. right amen amen this now, is the nature of man goes, and when it reaches this phase when it gets yeah. this bad christ will return yeah because at that point in time humanity can't control it anymore exactly and amen. we're we're reaching we've 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 reached that point. We're at that threshold. Yep. Yeah, we're at that threshold right now. Amen. Now, before we get ready to close, I want to talk about the two books you've written, two in a series called the SNO Chronicles. What does SNO stand for? SpyNet Online. Ah, okay. So SpyNet Online, and it's pronounced snow. In the okay. book, we pronounce it snow, the, uh, the Snow Alliance. Uh, when this program, which I gave a name to, the program that escaped is now and decoded in time prophecies is now a character in the book. Mm. And I named it Sylvia, which stands for Sophisticated Language Virtual Intelligence Algorithms. Mm. Sylvia has aligned with a um, a kind-hearted hacker named uh, who's living under the name, whose real name is Carrie Nolan. Um, he's living under the name of Derek Taylor, who is the name of his best friend. But his friend died in an explosion that was meant for Carrie after Carrie had hacked a Bilderberg Illuminati server. Mm. So trying to stay away from the people that want still want him dead, he um, he and the Sylvia basically build a worldwide network of everyday people from every walk of life 
as confidential informants and and people and, and an alliance of people to, to for help um, as they kind of combat this beast level systems these and that are that are developing. And now, um, Derek is originally just trying to basically just find vengeance for the death of his friend, but ultimately changes and realizes that that's not where he should. That's not where, as Sylvia opens his eyes, that's not really where he should be going. Um, but it will deal with the world economic systems, world banking. Um, now, most people don't realize when they read the scriptures, they get very confused. But there's actually two beasts mentioned in Revelation, and there's two dragons mentioned in Revelation. And so we go through and we define what we believe those two beasts and those two dragons are based on, on, on scripture. And it essentially boils down to the, the major world alliances and powers that exist today. Um, and how those two uh, alliances are are being set up for conflict. Yeah, Amen. and so it doesn't say. So I, I a lot of people interpreted scripture that it was a Christianity versus uh, Islam. Uh, I don't interpret that it that way at all. It's really Christianity against the world economic power systems that want to control us, manipulate us, and own us from cradle to grave. And, um, and and those are the systems that are actually in place. So those are the systems that are actually um, um, leading us to this demise. They're the ones that are actually polluting the planet and destroying, creating climate change and using profit as a motive uh, as their God, their idol to basically do all of these other things. And that exists both in the Western world as well as the Asian world. And, um, and so you're going to see, I think, um, that, um, uh, that, as those as the prophecy prophecies are fulfilled, you're going to see these types of events really kind of unravel, including what I mentioned about the global currency. Now, this book was released in 2020. Swarm. And, Swarm was and, released in 2020. The last arc and, was released this last November, 2022. Was uh, was Swarm a uh, a result of the lockdown? You know, nothing to do. Let me write this book type thing. Or <laughs> was it years in the making? Well, it was kind of years in the making, but I had retired from Microsoft a couple of years before that. And um, I decided that I, I have a very dysfunctional relationship with leisure. I, I just can't get I can't sit and watch TV too much. I just can't sit around and relax. I, I have a hard time relaxing. So I want it to be productive. And the, I think it was the Lord putting on my heart that it was time for me to now write about these things that I had been aware of for a number of years. And again, put them into a context of a. I use an international espionage thriller. I've been compared to Dan Brown, Iris Johansson, Robert Ludlum. One person said yeah. Tom Clancy. So I wanted to use that type of vehicle, that platform, to reach out not only to Christians to help them reaffirm their faith um, and, and give them a different understanding of world events, but also to reach people who were not Christians to basically open their eyes and, and to provoke thought and hopefully dialogue between them to say, what do all these things mean? Uh, are these prophecies um, true and, and accurate? If so, what else does that mean in terms of my spiritual life, my spiritual beliefs, uh, and 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 where are we going? And so the the books are a series of books that we're, are going to look at all realistic scenarios on the or on on going on today, from politics to religion to science to technology, climate, and and put them into the perspective of. Uh, prophecy, 
um, but through the vehicle of a the type of action thriller people love to read, which is page turning and lots of danger and people escaping and things going on. And you're learning something new. You're going some that you maybe you didn't know. You're going someplace around the world that maybe you've never been. And there's uh, uh, there's hu- uh, humanistic themes or, or, or you know, non humanistic in that sense. I don't know. That's the wrong word. Um, there's morality. And ethics and, and Christianity kind of bubbled in between that through the veil of thought. Amen. Amen. The prophecy. second book is The Last Ark. Share a little bit with us about that book before we close. Well, The Last Ark deals with the Third Temple mm-hmm. and okay. prophecy of the Third Temple. Now, for many years, um, I thought, well, a Third Temple is just, it, it could never happen the way many people envisioned that it would happen, um, which, uh, which was the destruction of the Dome of the Rock and, and all of that. And so in my research around the prophecies of the third temple, that's when I stumbled on, and I mentioned earlier, the Ark of the Covenant that was stolen out of Ethiopia, the Ark of Testimony that is now defined, we can now get to via the Copper Scroll. Um, and the um, I did a, a number of books. Uh, there was a book written by a guy named Christian Widener called The Temple Revealed that looked at the archaeology, the history, the scriptures around the temple to suggest that the Solomon's temple was never over the Dome of the Rock. Mm. The Dome of the Rock, and there's a couple of, there's two or three really important distinctions there. One, we know the temple was built over the threshing floor purchased by David. Well, there is a section of the threshing floor still present in plain sight this very day. Anybody who, who tours Jerusalem can go see it. It's on the temple platform. It's under someplace called the Dome of the Spirit, which is directly in front of the original Golden Gate, which was the original Shoshan Gate. Um, and the uh, and that's where the only threshing floor exists on, on the Temple Mount. So that's where the temple was. The Where the Dome of the Rock is, the, the rock is, and, and the Lord's scriptures say that the, the, the ark could never sit on rock cut by man because that would be blasphemous. So the threshing floor is a flat piece of, of stone with a lot of pot marks, and that's where the ark was laid. The ark and the stone underneath the Dome of the Rock has, has all kinds of cuts. People, who anybody who's seen pictures can see that. But more importantly, underneath that rock is a natural cave that most people don't know about. It's called the Well of Souls. And in that cave, there's a hole driven through the top of the cave, and directly underneath that hole is another hole, a three-foot-wide tunnel that um, archaeologists in the early 20th century uh, from Britain got um, basically discovered. That tunnel leads all the way to the Kidron Valley. And the conclusion was that was where the 14-ton bronze altar were put. So the cave and the hole and the tunnel were basically there to cleanse the altar. So where they have the Dome of the Rock is where the old altar was. Where the temple was, was basically under the Dome of the Spirit. So technically, the scenario that I talk about is how a peace deal uh, between, um, and I don't want to tell you too much in the story, um, be, between a, a former U.S. president and a um, and, and somebody, a Saudi crown prince, um, to um, basically build a temple, agree to a temple on the third uh, on the Temple Mount, doesn't have to replace the Dome of the Rock in order for it to happen. It only has to sit next to the Dome of the Rock. Yeah, amen, amen. And so it'll it's a, it's basically so an espionage peace deal, and you'll yeah. learn all about these artifact or these ancient uh, relics, and you'll learn about the the history of the arcs, and you'll learn about the you'll deal with this. I'll deal with the solar winds and some other espionage things that make it intense. 
but it's a um, it's a it's an extension of Swarm, and the main character, who's basically becomes a fugitive at this point, has to save the life of the woman who turned him into a fugitive uh, mm. twice. Wow, amen, hey, amen, hey, guy. This is so interesting. I mean, I, I could talk you, about this for hours, but we're about out of time. How can someone order copies of your books? Are they on Amazon? I'm on Amazon. I'm on Barnes and Noble online. I'm in Kobo and a few other places. Or if you want a um, a signed edition, you can order it from my website. And my website also has free um, white papers and research papers around prophecy that talk about my analysis of some of the key elements of prophecy, including definitions of the beast and everything else. Uh, and you can download those for free. Okay. And if someone wanted to get in touch with you to ask a question, do an interview like this. Uh, you can contact me through my website, um, or um, it's, it's, which is the best place, I, or you can uh, email me at guy at guymorsbooks.com. Okay. Um, but please explain where you um, learned of me and, and what you want to talk about, because of, uh, oftentimes, as you can imagine, I get <laughs> potential hackers trying to fish me, oh, so yeah. I'm very cautious about who I respond to. Yeah, Just let me know where you heard me from and, and be happy to talk to you. Amen. And what's your website? Um, guymorsbooks.com. Okay. Amen. Amen. I just want to make sure we got that in there. Yeah. I'll put links to all this down in the show notes below as well. Thank Folks, you. Thank you, sir. As I stated at the beginning, there is absolutely no way any person with any spiritual insight at all could deny that we're not, li- I mean, we are living in the last of the last days. How mm-hmm. close are we to the actual last days is anybody's guess, but it's close, very close. And, and I believe, guy, I, I reference it like, you know, you're at the baseball game and mm-hmm. the game is the end times. And we are, you know, how they introduce the lineup and the players come and run out and stand on the sideline or on the chalk line. Mm-hmm. They're doing the introductions right now. <laughs> the game about is about to begin. You know, the seven, the seven year tribulation is right at our threshold. Amen. That's right. Amen. Folks, you need to drop down into the show notes, click the link, go visit Guy Morris's website. The information on there is riveting to say the least and be sure to click the links to order his books swarm and the last dark these books are riveting and are guaranteed to hold your attention and make you think think about what brother about like we discussed the most important question earlier what if prophecy is not about how god will destroy humanity but about how humanity will destroy itself the point of prophecy is not to predict the future or stew in dystopic fear but to evaluate the present, to rethink our life priorities. Prophecy is the alarm clock for humanity. That's taken right from Guy's website. I urge you to drop down the show notes, click the links right there. (sighs) Guy Morris, this has been truly an interesting interview. I do appreciate you taking the time to come join us today and fill us in on all this great information. Thank you so much, Robert. It's been an honor and a pleasure, and I've really enjoyed it. Amen. Folks, that's all the time we have for today. Click the links, order these books, folks. For Guy Morris, myself, this Pastor Bob Ryan, be blessed in all that you do. You have been listening to Revelation Warning with Pastor Robert Thibodeau and his guest expert on Bible prophecy as it relates to current events. This podcast is not designed to invoke fear, but concern. Help us to make everyone aware that the soon return of Jesus is close at hand by clicking the like, subscribe, and then share buttons below. Share this episode with your loved ones, friends, and co-workers. For more information on our ministry, please visit podcasterforchrist.com and be sure to come back next week for another episode of Revelation Warning.